I've heard it both ways. Click next. I don't know where I'm going. A little help, please. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome! Welcome, my friend. Welcome to another episode of the Mosby Learning Podcast. My name is Dan Hurt from Montserrat, Ontario, and I have with me Adam Costix. Adam, where are you and how are you? I am great. I'm over in Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Yes, uh, this is a this is a binational podcast. International, uh, yes. Yeah, well, we can call it international if you want. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a friend in Michigan when I was working there for the, for a minute that uh, he always referred to me as the binational man of mystery, <laughs> which I, I kind of liked that. Because, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, I'm not international per se, but I've got two that I float between. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyhow, so uh, you've, you've maybe you've stuck around for the past couple episodes. Thank you for that. Maybe you're new to this one. Thank you. What we're doing here, we're just talking through various L&D concepts and this one what we're gonna well we'll talk about the the kind of the meat and potatoes of it in just a second we're gonna start off with talking to um, uh, an article that we had both read recently posted on LinkedIn by Rance Green and uh, how do you, do you know Rance personally I, I met him one time I was thing I was gonna say I met Rance at the uh, Southwest Learning Summit um, because he is the ATD chapter president of Dallas but I don't know him personally like if we saw each other on the street we probably wouldn't recognize each other uh, besides just kind of a LinkedIn networking and those pictures those are always tough those are always tough. The, 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 when we were at the, uh, yeah, the Southwest Learning Summit conference in Dallas there, end of August, I had a heck of a time. I recognized a couple people, uh, but luckily my, uh, my shiny head stands out, uh, stands out in a crowd. So, uh, some folks recognize me from down the hall. So anyway, so this article that, that he posted up there, well, I think to be transparent, he, because he runs the ATD Dallas show, the, the the conference that we went to, he's kind of starting to work towards the next year's conference as well. And it's about micro learning, which has um, content that he's kind of taken. No, I shouldn't say taken. He hasn't <laughs> pirated it, but uh, that he's uh, he's addressing actually, and he's crediting Carl Cop, uh, which I've always I've never been clear on the Cop versus Cap. I always thought it was Cap, but I guess it's Cop. Do not know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, it's, it's cop. <laughs> um, uh, he, so Carl's deal that I know him from was gamification. He was very big into that. Uh, he still kind of is. I saw him when we were in Dallas there talking at, at one of the big sessions and it was okay. It was a little dodgy. And I think maybe that's because of the way that, Maybe the nature of gamification as he applied it to the actual session made it a little tricky because he was trying to show the flexibility and the options. And, well, what do you guys want to do? And it didn't really play. There were a couple technological hiccups that didn't it just didn't really go very smooth. But what we're talking about are what what Rance Green from Dallas, Texas, is talking about in this article was a little bit more about the he's referencing Carl's ideas about what micro learning is and what it isn't. Um, and Adam, there was a video in that that I did not watch, but you did. There was, and um, it's actually referencing the newest book that 
Carl Cap. And now you now I'm gonna say it wrong. Each no, time, it's so. Cop. You got it wrong. Cop. I got, you got it, it wrong. wrong. Okay, well, we're back and forth. Um, yeah, I've heard it both ways. But they, he wrote recently. It's on micro learning, short and sweet. Uh, it's a short book that he wrote. Um, but he is going to be the keynote next year at that Southwest Summit, mm. and he did do. Uh, there's three things that. Rance kind of took out of the book and put into this article. And the first was the idea of shrunken head learning. And what he means by that, and there's a short video that Carl Cap did. Carl Cap no, did. Cop, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. He, yes, exactly. I apologize to Carl on this one. But there's a short video about that. And he explains it. It's a minute and 41 second video. But he talks about shrunken head learning as what micro learning is not. Micro learning is not a video, an hour video that you just cut up into five minute sections and say, hey, it's micro learning. And the reason he says that is because a lot of times those one hour sessions are not designed to be cut up. So uh, there'll be multiple different topics in there. And I know in our journey, that was one of the things that we thought about is like, let's just take an hour long session, cut it up. Now we have micro learning. But really when you start defining micro learning, micro learning for Carl, and I tend to agree with this, is one subject, one topic that people are learning. And so if you're cutting it up just to, for the sake of cutting it up, he calls that shrunken head learning and says, you know what, that's not really micro learning at all. Um, that micro learning should be purposeful. It should be one topic, one subject. And that's the best way to create micro learning that actually sticks. That's useful. Can I ask you a question here? You can. Cause I've been back and forth on this and there was a session uh, Shannon Tipton, I think, is her name. Uh, she was a session that I attended uh, again in in Washington there at the the big conference, and she had a similar uh, similar idea where you know micro learning is not short, you know, start, middle, end, continue. It's start, middle, end, and that's the end of it. Now, for me, I'm not I'm not sure how we defined end or, or single content, you know, so that big chunk that we're going to talk a little bit about how we divided our, how we uh, arrived at this program and kind of the principles behind it. Uh, the start talking about that, the second half of this session, but the, the challenge that I have there is what if that learner only wants to know that one small segment of the whole hour? Is that not micro learning then? You know what I mean? Like for what we did, we chopped up a loan origination, uh, you know, submission process to, from that's what we kind of started the journey with. And then we took it in a bunch of different directions. But if one of them, if somebody wanted to learn how to submit that loan, well, that's all they wanted to know. You know what Isn't I mean? Is that one topic though? I think it is. But that came from cutting up a one hour and 15 minute session into like ch appropriately chunked pieces based on what we thought people would want to know in each individual segment. Yes. And I think that's what Carl's going though, is that if you can cut it up correctly, then it can work. But I think far too often people think of micro learning that is just short and that is just cut up hmm. without purpose. And when you look to cut up that longer process, you look to say, where are the places for me to cut it up? It doesn't make sense to, in our case, right, the loan origination system, to send out docs and submit the loan. You broke it up into send out docs is one video, submit the loan is another. Mm -hmm. Those are two separate concepts. So where do you do the cut? So if you're going to do that, I think it's what he's saying is that you need to really 
be purposeful for it and maybe even design that way or just at least give it thought of where you're going to be chopping it up. Hmm. All right. So I guess we're saying the same thing then. I believe we are. Uh, you know, I, the, I don't know. I mean, that that session, the one I attended with Shannon, she she was vehement about this. And I thought, well, I, I don't know. It just it feels like this is this still fits the mold, you know? Yes. I don't know. I think it does. But the other two things, and I think we're saying the same thing there on that one, and if anybody's looking for it, they can look at Carl's short video to talk exactly about that. But the other two things that he talks about in his Carl book Kopp? is that Carl Kopp is that microlearning is not new. Um, no. We've no, been not. training others how to do specific skills in short bursts for forever, Yeah. right? And so now – we talk about microlearning, and, and really what he's getting at is that microlearning's always been around, right? We've taught people how to do processes and short bursts, how to do it. But why it's such a big thing right now is because we have the technology to be able to do that. So a lot of the videos that you've created and I've created, we, we use Camtasia. We're able to put them onto a YouTube, a Vimeo. We're able to put it out for our learners to consume it. So it's not a new concept. Actually, microlearning has been around for a long time. Okay. That, that makes sense that just the technology is kind of caught up with the demand for it, you know? And well, so that's another thing that I know it's okay, this, this, this concept of the modern learner, which just I love that it irks the, the hell modern. out of me. No, it's not true. <laughs> well, okay. So that's the thing. Everybody says the modern learner and it's, it's gen, 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 what the hell are we on? Gen Z now or millennials. Well, they've only got like a really short attention span. And that's something that pretty, I think has been universally debunked as, as just ridiculous at this point. No one has an eight second attention span. If they do, I, I want nothing to do with them and I don't want them taking any training I've been a part of. Um, it's, it's, I think that anybody would be happy with a single short answer to the question that they have, regardless of how old they are, regardless of, of what role they're in. If I'm a CEO or if I'm some guy that's putting a, a bolt on an engine somewhere, if you can show me a short thing that answers my problem, then that's great. You know, so I don't think it's generational. I don't think it's role specific. Um, and like you said, we've been doing it forever. So it's just, it's, it's become more, uh, I guess maybe we've put a label on it and we've got technology to support it. So now everybody's talking micro learning. Yeah. And I think it's actually funny. You brought up the modern learner because that's, uh, I hate kind it. Of a point of cons- I brought it up reluctantly <laughs> the two of us, uh, for the people that are listening here. We, Dan and I actually started talking about the modern learner back in November, 2018. <laughs> so it's been a, exactly a year ago. That's when I when started, started shouting about it too, shortly <laughs> after that. <laughs> and we started putting our, th- our, our presentation together for ATD in Washington, DC. And I said, you know, we need to get context. So we started doing a bunch of research and I started finding all this information about the modern learner and we've been debated back and forth and what was about five slides about the modern learner uh, I did get one in for Washington DC that we talked about the modern learner but what was funny about this and this constant debate we've had now for a year about just that entire premise is probably about 50% of the presentation started with modern learner premises. Yeah. They started talking about modern learner. So um, I think it's over. It's played out. People just want to get the solution as quickly as possible. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or if you're 75. 
they just want the solution. Okay, I I think that that gets kind of through the 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 nut or, or the nugget of that article that we saw about Carl and and rants and shrunken heads and all those yeah. sort of things and everybody's doing micro. Uh, unless yeah, there was and some, I think that oh, go there ahead. was one other thing in there, there and this is something that you and I had talked about in our presentation, and I, I 100% agree with Carl here. Um, and the reason I agree is because we've we've failed at this. This is something that we've done uh, in the past at, at Caliber I've done and uh, you did is he says, you know, micro learning as a whole is not right for every learning solution. No. And yeah. people get very excited for it. The business gets excited for it. People are like, we want videos for everything. Uh, and you ultimately create those monsters. And he talks about, you know, it's not right for every solution. And, and I can tell you those battle scars of it is not right for every solution. In fact, there is other solutions that are better depending upon what you're training. Sometimes ILT is better. Sometimes blended learning, sometimes e-learning, micro learning is not for everything. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that I know I've learned over time, that it's a tool in your tool belt as an instructional designer to say, hey, we have this available. We can do this for certain situations. And it goes back to what we were just talking about is how do you get an answer to a specific topic? And those are probably good places to look at where micro learning kind of fits in. I've, I've been a big proponent for the concept of almost everything is a tool, just like a hammer. You can use it for good or bad, like Twitter. It potentially, in some way, it has potential to add value to the world. Uh, I have chosen to opt out. <laughs> because I didn't see enough of the value. But, um, you know, microlearning is the same thing. It's a tool that works for some solutions, but not for everything. Yeah. Um, so let, let's let's talk about kind of our own experience with this because, and this was, you know, we've talked to, we've mentioned a couple times, hey, you know, this session, blah, blah, blah. I've bragged about going to Washington a number of times, but um, to, to hobnob. But uh, so when we were in Washington, the whole reason that we put this session together was we had this experience for, you know, three plus years. Uh, you know, we, we, we got into the, the kind of the story at different times. We got out at different times. We did different things in there, but it was all about how we took that, what we saw was a one hour and 10 minute webinar, basically chopped it up um, and into what some people would consider micro learning uh, because it answers that one thing at the one time that the person needs it to. But there were seven different spokes that I have a hell of a time remembering, even though I came up with a mnemonic device. Thank you very much. Um, I at least got that word right this time. <laughs> but so, so my mnemonic device, do you remember my mnemonic device? I'm going to ask you. Something about somebody eating cookies. Yes. And at Starbucks, scribbling, well, eating so cookies, Starbucks. A, you're close. There yeah. is a micro learning video out there about this. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. There was a, yeah, a video I did. But okay, so uh, Ron sketches soft cookies he'll probably buy. Um, and so the cookies, which is this represents C no buy. this was client buying C, I think was communication, but, um, see, it's all coming back. That mnemonic device actually works. Once I remember one, what mnemonic is the word and then the actual thing. But, um, so client buying, that's something that, that we're hoping to talk through tonight a little bit. And Adam, this is when we, when we do our little song and dance there, our dog and pony show, this is one of the pieces that you talk to, uh, primarily. And then I just interject 
snide comments here and there. So <laughs> how, uh, how do you want to get into this with, with the client buy-in piece? Because, I mean, you were always on the more managed end of our, uh, of our experience. Sure. And, you know, it, it is one of those things that, you know, when we started down the microlearning path and implementing microlearning into our journey, a lot of our leaders and the clients were, they, we, we, we were met with skepticism. They're like, what, we, what are you going to do? We've done webinars for the last five years. It's been five. Let's do what we've always done. You got to love that in business. Let's just do what we've always done. And we said, basically, hey, we want to try something different. We want to do micro learning videos. And so it was met with a lot of skepticism. Um, and anytime you're implementing a new program or a new uh, idea, I think you're going to get skeptical skepticism from your clients. Um, one of the things I will say that I spent a lot of time talking about was the just-in-time type of learning. Now, we're not really doing true just-in-time learning, but at the end of the day, what our clients did buy in on was people could access it at any time. People could get the information when they kind of needed it versus having to go into an LMS, versus having to go through long processes to get to the learning. So just-in-time worked really well as far as getting our client buy-in. And it wasn't until really, Dan, you kind of went rogue. You... You, you just started making videos it's and true. you started doing that and you said, screw the client buy and I'm going to make these in addition to my day job and make some small videos to kind of give proof of concepts. And some of those videos really kind of took off. Um, that was something that you were able to make very easily, cheaply, make it kind of quick. It gave you the chops to say, does this work? Can we prototype some of this? And by doing that, we were able to get those basic metrics. And so that really helped kind of build that case with our clients. I like that you give me credit for this in addition to my day job, because I'm not sure <laughs> I remember it the same way, but <laughs> you did, you did go a little bit rogue though. There was no, yeah. let me, let me tell you exactly what I'm going to be doing. You kind of put some videos out, which we knew they would be well received because it was, it was the right information to get out there. Yeah, it was a need. But people were actually doing it. Okay. So, so just uh, real quick, I remember before we even went down this path, I was actually, I remember you actually brought this up maybe, maybe even three months into my tenure there where the issue was, okay, well, how are people, if they don't attend the webinar, how are they watching this? How are they getting it? Well, we send them the recording of the webinar. Yes. And and you said, ah, this is not a great solution. This is a terrible solution. And, and I agree. I mean, a recorded webinar, I was hesitant because I didn't want more work at the time. But then once I realized it could be part of my day job, I was all in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it's true. To, to send somebody a recorded webinar is not the solution that I think we should be looking for. It's a cheap one. It's absolutely a cheap one. So you get some level of ROI. But when it comes to solving somebody's problem who's already busy, and especially the audience, that we were dealing with, which was sale, well, kind of half sales and, and half, uh, half ops. Half ops. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're busy people, you know? Yeah. And I think just sending a webinar, people just don't go back to it. Yeah. At that point. If yeah. they miss that live webinar session, yeah, they, they don't go back it. to no. it. And it's amazing. It's kind of like at the end of a lot of these presentations, people will come up and say, oh, can I get the deck? Sure. But I would argue there's probably 5% that actually go and look at the deck or do anything with the deck after. after it's a collectible. It's like, it's like, <laughs> you remember how you used to get glasses at the gas station? If you get like a fill up. Yes. Did, did they do that back down there? Or? 
No, okay. but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. It's a collectible. It's like you earned a it. Yes, yeah. you get a toaster. But, you know, it's one of those things, oh, can I get printouts of this? Well, you never look at them again. And, and, and what's funny is actually recently um, I just got a new air conditioner, which – Congratulations. Goodness, it is so hot down here still. It's September. It's ridiculously 95 degrees. But at the end of the day, I was cleaning out my attic, and I started cleaning out some boxes from when we moved into our house 10 years ago. Oof. And I found some big binders from 2004, 2005 – mortgage binders of training and i started flipping through them and what i noticed is there was no notes inside of them and they probably have not been opened since 2005 yeah but we gave all those big binders on it was expected you know it's funny i i remember the um so that binder thing shortly after i uh showed up in your world there that was one of the first things that we got rid of was a hard binder because you were you just giving away money that nobody you well i shouldn't say nobody like one person uses it. There's always one. There's one, and they are more than welcome to download the resources online and print them off at home, you know? Yes. Yes. Anyways. I'm actually going through this right now into another an, another topic, but I'm trying to do that with another part of the business who is printing out information. But let's go back to microlearning. When we were talking about that client buy-in, some of those videos that you did mm. were able to get us some just basic metrics. And that allowed us to really move forward. We, by taking that prototype and being able to get basic metrics, it was now we can say people are watching these. People are actually consuming this. And... I had a conversation, I know, with our, I think he was our COO at the time, and he, he kind of looked at me and said, our sales folks are watching these? And by having those basic metrics and having a champion in the business, I said, our sales folks love these videos. He was able to kind of buy in and say, okay, well, let's let's move forward. This becomes part of our strategy. And that was one of the biggest things that really, once we got a buy-in for, at the higher levels, it was able to go across our organization a lot more when we were in project meetings, we were consulting with clients. It wasn't skepticism anymore. And ultimately what happened is we created a monster. We started saying that micro learning was for everything. And, and I tied that back to Carl's comment in his article, but Carl Cap, Carl Cap, Carl Cap, Cap, that guy. And, you know, to this day. And so we, you know, started our micro learning journey three years ago i'm still running into we got to have a video for everything yeah and you have the business now coming to us and going we need a video we need micro learning videos for this too it's good but it's also really bad because it's not the solution for everything so we've created this big monster um went from you know push pull and now we got to consult back and actually bring our solutions back down to what are we really trying to accomplish from a training outcome perspective, then let's just make a micro learning video. Let's make it look really good and let's get it out there because that does, it's not always the right case. You know, and I really struggled with still personally, I think doing something that one, uh, I, I enjoy doing two, I'm kind of good at, and then three, that kind of solves the problem. You know what I mean? And, and after a while we got good at those videos. It was it, because I was doing it so much. It was really in my sweet spot. It was, it was what I, I got in a really good groove with them and it was easy to appease that request. You know, it's like, oh, hell yeah, man, we're doing, you want a video? I will make a video for you. How many do you want? You know, it was, it was so easy to do that, but yeah, you're right. It's not, not always the right solution for the problem. 
Yeah. You know, can, can, we go, think, can we go back for a second sure. to your comment of just-in-time? You kind of started off talking about the just-in-time solution, and I want to make sure I understand what you're referring to. Um, sure. So are you saying just-in-time where the learner decides that they have a problem and they get the solution like then and there? Or are you talking about us being able to provide a solution when the business actually finally needs the uh, thing solved? when the learner needs the information. Right. Okay. So when I'm talking about just in time, I, you know, use an example of, you know, in, in the mortgage world, I'm getting ready to, in my CRM, my, 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 um, my customer relationship management system and says, I'm going to go make this call and I'm going to go talk to a new realtor. A just in time solution would be a video pops up before they make the call that talks to them about some strategies on how to sell effectively or a strategy on how to sell effectively. That would be just in time or just in time of I'm getting ready to do what you talked about of submit that loan. It pops up on the screen and says like the paperclip in Microsoft, <laughs> the Microsoft uh, Clippy. system a long time ago. Do you, yeah, Clippy. Clippy. Comes yeah, yeah. right up and says, hey, do you need help? That would be just in time because it would be the right solution on what the learner is experiencing at the time. And we're not there. I mean, we push it out when they kind of need it. But true just-in-time learning is right when the learner needs it at their fingertips. And we're definitely getting better. I'm starting to do some analytics of where do people struggle when you're thinking about their career path. So if you say somebody comes on board, they need this information in 30 days, this information in 60 days, I know that we see a drop off at 90 days in certain uh, certain skills that they're going to need or things that they probably forgot. I can use those as bumps to send them a micro learning video at the right time when they're probably needing it. Or when I see their numbers struggling a little bit on something, they're not accessing our marketing system. They don't access it for 20 days. Guess what? Let me shoot them some videos about that so I can make it just in time at their fingertips and give them the right information and kind of get away from all the noise that a learner receives during the day because most learners are receiving hundreds of emails they're getting phone calls they don't have a lot of time for learning so if we can push it to them when they're needing it and when it's fresh in their mind it's kind of like just like going on Amazon where it has your history and it knows your, what you've been searching for it uses that predictive analytics to say now you're getting your learning when you need it so let me ask you, kind of going back to the the, the core of uh, of this piece, the client buy-in piece. You were talking about having metrics. I mean, we were just talking about AI and analytics and stuff. But the the actual metrics that we needed or that you needed, because I wasn't doing any convincing, the metrics that you <laughs> needed to, to convince the uh, the big dogs about this. So how how did we aggregate those? Where do they come from? What number actually yeah. impressed these guys? Amazingly. And, and this was my first time in my learning career that something like attendance actually worked. You know, learning people walk out, they get, they come out of class and go, we trained 13,000 people this year, which is kind of cool. That's kind of what our group trained last year. But nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares at all except learning geeks that say how many people you trained. What I found is it was very different with views. When we positioned it as videos and this is how many people are watching them and this is the percentage of your sales force 
are watching them. The views, and I don't know what it was with the views, but people actually took notice. It was something different. And I don't know if that's, I haven't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's because you hear about YouTube views all the time. You hear about Vimeo views, really YouTube views, right? When a video goes viral, you hear about those views just even on the news. But when I started talking about views, people were like, wow, people are watching these. People are listening to them. People are looking at them. And it was the basic metric of views that allowed us to move forward. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but yeah. the basic metric of views. And we, and we got that from Vimeo. And those, that, that Vimeo site allowed us to see the number of views. And when people dropped off, it gave us a little bit of analytics to say our videos were dropping off at certain places. One of the, I think, the most interesting statistics on that is I think our average now with I think it's 40 some thousand views is about four minutes I was gonna pull it up here but it's about four minutes and like 36 seconds last I looked it's not two minutes it's not one minute our one average minute. for over 40,000 views is about four and a half minutes and so we've had videos to, to everybody who talks about length of time how long micro learning should be or shouldn't it be We've had videos that are real short. We've had videos that are really long. So over those couple of years, it really you know averages out. It's about four minutes and four and a half minutes of the average learner mm. looking at that video. You know, that's that's one question that that usually ends up coming up in the sessions that we that we host or the ones that I've attended about micro learning is some some person in the audience says, well, how how what's the right length? And, um, that's, that's what they sound like too. But the, there, I mean, there is, there is obviously no right length, but I tell you what, one minute is not the right length unless it's a question that gets answered in one minute. You know, every, there, there seems to be, and, and we've talked about this in the past, Adam, uh, about there's, you got a request one day, can we make these videos one minute long? And, um, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to step away from my phone for a minute because it's, it's a silly question. It like, why? I think that's it. Why? There's no single goddamn reason why it should be one minute long unless that's how long it takes to answer the question, you know? Right. And there was no reason because when I got that request, I remember forwarding it to you and you said, why? <laughs> I, I, I did submit it in a yeah. little bit different tone yep. and they had no reason why, um, no reason why at all that that it needed to be a different uh, size from there. Hold on, I was right here. Okay, so I just pulled the last two years, forty-eight thousand views, and our average time per view was four minutes and fifty-six seconds. Four four minutes fifty-six seconds. Four minutes and fifty-six seconds. So just under that five-minute mark. Interesting. So so when we started this, and again, these are metrics that were used. Well, the the just the first tier of like view numbers was, I think, what you used to initially uh, kind of convince folks. But when we started this, we the the series of videos that we really kind of kicked this off was was a five-minute video series. And I just used that five-minute number. It was five minutes or less, really. So I wanted to keep them short as we were developing them. And then I got myself into a bit of trouble with branding because some of these videos had to be longer than five minutes. And because I'm a stickler for details and, and I'm, I'm rather principled about this, I had to change the branding on those videos. So it was like H2O, good to know. Uh, but I, it looked the same, but I didn't call them five minutes or less, but because so many of them were under five minutes, I was not sure 
if because we were getting similar results, like just uh, b- between four and four and a half minutes as view time. So we said, well, OK, so that's the perfect length of time. And it's like, well, OK, or is it the fact that the videos are only five minutes long, give or take, and people are dropping off once they get their answer and they don't stick around for the last 20 minutes of the video? But that's interesting that you guys have such a massive sample size now. So what would you say your average video length is? That I don't know. I'd oh, come on, man. Research. Come on. I'll, I'll get back to you. I got all the right. other stats. All right. <laughs> that I don't know. But they're, 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 they're all over the place. We're doing bit, this on so. the fly, folks. We're doing this on the fly. That's right. Um, but, you know, it, it's just interesting numbers. And now we have some data to be able to pull behind it. But those metrics help with the client buy-in. So if you can prototype you put the prototype out there. It just allows you to have more of the conversation that people will actually consume it. And and I will tell you, you know, we failed along the way, and I I, I continue to fail um, with it because when you talk about client buy-in, you know, a couple things that I did when we did start off is I kind of oversold it. I oversold some of the impact because it's great to get views, it's great to get consumption, but if you're not changing the learner behavior, is it really worth it? And so. There was some times that we, I think we put out some videos just to put out some videos because the business thought it was great, but I don't know if it necessarily hit the mark. I don't know if we ever changed some of the behavior. And, you know, ultimately I think too, we've talked about this just in the beginning here, but it's not the solution for everything. Yeah. I think we got to look at other things. So with that being said though, that spoke came out when we did our presentation we came out with three sub spokes and now everyone's going with what three so you have seven spokes <laughs> and then you have three sub spokes yes there's 21 different sub spokes uh, that Dan and I kind of started creating but in our client spoke the there was three main things that we kind of saw is socialize socialize it with different people and because that's going to allow people to know it's there and you know one of the spokes is communications and how do you get the information out but you need to socialize it with those clients because you need to get them to watch it because if you just send out some micro learning videos people do not watch it and i think in our inaugural session of this podcast i talked a little bit about that that we created some videos recently and people just didn't watch them and it was such a bummer because it was really good information, but we didn't really create an entire strategy about how to communicate it. And it really wasn't socialized to all the leaders to be able to to drive that down. And then just the second one was know the limitations, know what micro learning can do, you know, what, know where it's good, know where it's bad. If it's really in depth, maybe you need to have an ILT session. Maybe you need to have a, a, a live virtual session. Maybe it needs to be an e-learning where you can create a simulation, but know the limitations of micro-learning. And then finally, one of the biggest things that I can't under, uh, I, I can't. Um, is it over or under? Oh, is it over or, or under? Over or yeah, that you don't <laughs> want to underestimate is find a champion, find somebody. Because when I talk about that, that meeting that I had with the COO, I had somebody from the business who spoke on behalf of the business and the CEO kind of looked at me. He was like, oh, this is good stuff. Then he looked at the person who was the champion that said, this is great. The Salesforce loves it. And that allowed me to have that champion kind of in my back pocket to say, here's the proposal and what we're proposing to do from the business, from the prototypes, to be able to say, this is the way forward and really, really get that client buy-in. So don't, it's underestimate. Don't underestimate the... Um, by having a champion that's that's kind of in your back pocket when you're talking with a client. Yeah. Two is always better than one. 
when yeah. you're consulting. Well, and in, cause, well, because you never know who's got who's got clout and who's got baggage, you know. Um, there you go. And so I, so in my role, I've been at my new uh, new role at uh, I work at Morgard in uh, Mississauga, Ontario here. And Say that I've, ten times fast. <laughs> uh, I've been there since January, <laughs> though it's now it's uh, we're almost in October, but. Um, Man, I tell you what, I've been making friends. I've been making a lot of friends, and that's I, I really think it's one of the interesting aspects of working in L and D that we get such a high level of visibility into the upper tiers of the organization. I mean, obviously there's a there's a there's a cap to that, but um, uh, but I've been able to make a couple, well, at least one, one or two friends in high places, and it's it's gone well. And I mean, if you show them that you're competent and that you do reasonably good work and you do it well, well, you know, all of a sudden you're starting to make friends and they become champions to these ideas. So I think there's a level of equity that you have to put into these relationships to really uh, equity and trust, you know, to, to get to that point where they're willing to go out on a limb and say, nah, they got a good idea. Let's go with their idea, you know. Agreed. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so looking at it, that is the first spoke kind of broken down with our sub spoke, socialized limitations, create champions and client plan that we talk about in our presentations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we are probably going to go through the other six, uh, not right now, but (laughs) in the near future, (laughs) you know, we got a lot of, that's right. Yeah. Get a coffee. we got a lot of conversations that are coming up and, and we're going to touch on each of them. And they were, uh, uh, what, software, skill development, uh, you know, which which skill sets to develop, uh, housing process, ROI, communication. And you heard Adam mention a couple of them here and there. I mentioned a couple of them, but that's that's them, you know. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be touching on all those concepts. And some of them are a little bit more management heavy. And that's where Adam, his experience and his, not just his previous experience, but his experience in this story, uh, he, that comes into play. Some of them are a little more, you know, boots on the ground sort of stuff. And that's where my perspective comes into play. But then, of course, there's a lot of interplay between those as we go. So uh, so that's pretty much it for uh, it for client buy-in. Very cool. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Dan. With that being said, I think it was a great show and that's all i got if we do say so ourselves uh ladies and gentlemen you can find us on linkedin we are uh well we're not there together we're there separately as independent people but uh d-a-n-h-i-r-t is how you spell my name and adam's is uh last name is c-o-s T-A-K-E-S. So just find us on LinkedIn. You know, maybe one day we'll have an email where you can uh, send us an anonymous complaint or something like that. But uh, for right now, just go to LinkedIn. Go to LinkedIn. Check us out there. Uh, Say hi. Please connect to us. I mean, I I love it when people uh, connect to us out there or in general. You see us walking down the street. Give us a high five or something. But um, uh, so that's it. And for this episode, you probably hear a bit of music in the background. That is... Oh, what is it? Retro, future, grunge, dirty, something like that. I never get it right, but Kevin McLeod always does, and that's who makes the music. You can get any of his songs at incompetech.com. Thank you very much. We'll be talking to you guys again soon. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Click next.